What's up? My name is Daddy, HS. I was... I still haven't got that upbeat music going for my intro. Need to sort that out. In fact, I tried a few weeks ago. <laughs> I tried a few weeks ago and put some... I put an MP3 on that I thought it would just be like... Or whatever, like a little bit of an intro. And it was the wrong one. And it was actually Chopin's um, uh, something where it goes... It's like a funeral march or something. <laughs> and that would probably be more... Uh, that would probably befit my style a, a little bit more. I'm a bit of an emo, aren't I? Last Q&A, after all, was called blood-curdling Q&A. And... <laughs> the image, I don't know why anyone clicks on my podcast, but the image of my podcast is me like frowning. But, um, you know, I'm a, okay, I'm a moody, bearded, hairy, smelly old man. Okay? And I'm going to own that. I guess part of the thing was I was looking at, you know, listening to all these home ed podcasts that I love, by the way. And a lot of them, you know, they're all like, really really cheerful and how can you make your uh, home ed journey the most wonderfulest and easiest thing in the world um and i don't know i wanted to go opposite <laughs> or something else um hey so q a part two last week was um it was really really low volume sorry about that i'm trying to still fig figure out the tech and stuff um so if you so now you can listen to me now you can hear me what a joy to hear my funeral march um and uh, yeah it's late today it should be yesterday it should be released yesterday this episode but it wasn't because my daughter's birthday was yesterday and she had a great time but i i didn't really do much with her yesterday because on her her brother youngest brother is, is his birthday too soon we're having a treasure hunt i'm organizing a treasure hunt for saturday and it is so i wrote this birthday card to her and it turned into a birthday letter and it was just like encouragements about how she's my arrow we have this little catechism question and answer thing that um, I say, you are my, and they say, arrow. Because in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, it talks about children being like arrows in the quiver of a husband, of a uh, father. And the father is like a warrior, kind of for the kingdom of God. <clears throat> and the arrows are going forth into the darkness into the battle for the kingdom of light, making a difference um, because of the warriors aim, training up the kids in, in righteousness and stuff like that. So, um, you know, why should you can't come here, buddy, come here, come here. Do you think you really should have done that? What, why do you think you shouldn't have hit your brother? Yeah, that's right. Uh, and what is your, your job towards your brother? Yeah, to bless him, that's right. And um, because you are my... What arrow, exactly, and I am I am the warrior. Right, so there's this... Uh, so I deal with... Um, I'm kind of invoking these Bible passage for a bigger vision of what they should be a blessing um, to their brothers and sisters 
um, for moral training. So it's woven into a life, this idea that they are my arrow. Um, and I wrote this letter and I was like, you're doing great at this and I, I love you for this and you've a fantastic daughter of mine and I, um, we're building something together. And so there's this idea of building and there's this... Uh, to, the, this I, I've been thinking a lot about building, building a house for the Lord. I love this this song called Wood and Nails by Porter's Gate, um, which I think I talked about before, but um, this has been swirling around in my mind, the poetry that um, Jesus was a carpenter, the po- poetry of the idea that Jesus was a carpenter, building things for the, for the kingdom of God, building a table, for example, for the coming banquet, the coming messianic banquet, banquet of the Messiah, the coming celebration of the father in the, in the coming age where there will be this wonderful house of the Lord in Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, new heavens and the new earth where all things are new. The father has wiped away every tear from every eye all, every knee will bow. People from tongue, from every tongue and tribe and nation, are, are singing His name, and um, the and this is what we're we're kind of commissioned now as architects of this house. Um, but the what arrows usually do is hurt. They fly off over crenellations, those little knobbly bits on the top of castles, and pierce the pierce those who wander around uh, below, stopping them from attacking. And yet, if so, there's these two kind of contradictory metaphors that you're piercing for the kingdom of God, in defense of the kingdom of God, but we are building this house of the Lord so that many who wander may come and dwell with the the father and so we're inviting in to this house that we're building and we're defending it from attackers but we're trying to make the attackers um welcome in they come in to the dancing to the sabbath to the singing to the celebration to the banquet um to the lord so what the heck am i talking about oh yeah so anyway, I wrote this letter, um, and it turned into a poem, turned into a, uh, a a song, and I wrote this song, um, saying that she is the daughter of Zion, the the arrow that um, you pierce with something harder, and the, the this story of that we that we built this house, we built a house for ourselves originally. I built a house for myself, and it crumbled because the attackers destroyed it and it fire and rain and everything hit it and it all crumbled to the ground but then um we were told of another house a plans for another house and so now we're making a house for someone else someone else with a master architect is making something and we are entering into someone else's plan and giving our services for that beautiful plan so now we're defending a house that's not our own, and yet it doesn't have an armory and it doesn't have a treasure room. Um, the 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 dwellers in this house is the treasurer of this house, and it's a house of peace. So when the when the archers shoot atop the crenellations into those who wander, uh, you hit with something harder than steel, and you 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 bring something. 
more penetrative um, to the marrow, which is the memories. This is what you're bringing to someone. The memory that that a house for yourself won't hold. In in, in other words, it, repentance. This is what we are bringing to the nations of mortar and dust. All these na- all these nations who have tried building babbles for themselves. All these nations who have tried building for themselves. Um, on top of bloodshed, on top of bone, we are saying, come and look around you at about the mortar and dust of these houses built on bone. They will not stand. Listen to my memories of my house and the sorrow and anguish that came when I, my house fell. And look at this, which is which now stands. Come now while the hour is not late. Come into the dancing and singing. Come into the celebration. This is what uh, the archers do. They are. They proclaim that the doors are open, not shut. This is a strange kind of defense, right? <laughs> An open door. But um, in this house, the the lord of this house, the lord of the manor, is is kind of doesn't need defending. Or rather, the only defense he asks of us is to invite. So, there's a story there, isn't there? This, this is not just theology. This is a, this is a mm, set of metaphors, a kind of conglomeration of biblical metaphors. And um, I'm excited about it. I love this sort of thing. I love thinking through narratives that glorify Jesus. and But are also kind of have this ruddy coziness and dramatic emotional poetic depth to it um um and moral a moral uh complexion to it too a moral level to it too because this is you are the arrow daughter you are a part of this story you are a protagonist in the story you are not the protagonist you know <laughs> nor am i um and that's the house that falls when we think we're the protagonist of the whole story of the universe so i have this story and what i wanted to do for her birthday is to do this treasure hunt an oxford wide treasure hunt oxford is the city we live in and so across our, our family members and friends live across this town um and i want to do do something like so she finds a note in this house saying that the um she knows it's pretend but and the three-year-old too she'll be reading this to the three-year-old and so they'll kind of join in together you are the arrows you know the the story to the effect of you are the arrows of this um defending this this house and um but it's falling it's the enemies are coming and it's not going to stand so you must go and um escape and so they escape to someone else's house and on this with a sticky note on the top of you get some directions in this note to someone else's house and it's covid so they can't come out but they've left notes there and they said oh you i've just gonna have to go and do something else so i can't see you but i've left you instructions and the house um there's a new house being built and you need to go and see the gardener. And then they go over to the gardener in someone else's house. And on the, their note, they says, oh, the garden is going to be like this and it's going to look like that. And uh, thank you for being with me in this in this story. And thank you for helping with this. And I need you to go to the other place and get notes on the um, from the farmer. 
or the friar or the monk or the whoever it is who's got these different instructions about the way this house is going to be built together and how we're all going to come together at the end of it and have a royal banquet and even the as people far and wide will come in and see through the stained glass windows they will see the dancing and singing of the sabbath of the house that you have built and they will come in and rejoice with you and not only them but the prince himself will come and join you at the father's table here's the first question i got um q a on instagram at daddy homeschools the first question i got was um my mum saying <laughs> my mum saying how do I get white fly out of my broccoli? Thank you, mum. And the answer is, uh, how do I get white fly out of my broccoli? Um, white fly. White, um, I just turned off my white fly. In fact, I just had a podcast about how it was distracting me. And so I turned off the internet, turned off the Wi-Fi, turned off the white fly. The Wi-Fi, the Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi. You just un unplug it, man. If the Wi-Fi is getting into your broccoli, just turn it off. Turn, unplug it and turn it off. So then the Wi-Fi won't be in your broccoli. Does that help? Charlie Patchbear, my blessed barn school sisterin. Um, there I have a homeschool co-op and um, Charlie Patchbear great gal who goes there to this co-op uh, is at her house she made it and she said do you ever shave your beard off completely another excellent question no i don't because i saw on homeschooling with the classics on instagram at, at homeschooling with the classics that homeschooling dads have beards so i'm afraid that if i shave it off i will send my kids to school Next, <clears throat> um, next is, I think I need more coffee, asks, talk to me about making homeschool beautiful and meaningful in only three days per week. Um, well, first thing is, they might have needs that are more important than getting up to speed on their maths. Especially if they're under 10. Um, they think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I'm sure you've seen that diagram um, around of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's like this triangle. And at the bottom, or maybe the top, uh, bottom, I like they have food needs, you have sleep needs, you have basic physical needs. And then above that, there's um i don't know emotional and above that is educational i don't know things like that so you but you have these different levels of needs and if the bottom ones aren't met then all the ones on top of those aren't going to be addressed properly either so um i couldn't teach my three-year-old anything yesterday when he was so hungry and you know if they if they need sleep then that's it and but maybe the more hidden less obvious ones is going to be I, I'm always flying the flag for encouragement so I think every morning 
um, you all should join me with my matinee, my morning meeting where I give encouragement and challenges to the kids. And those encouragements are key. You do them first. I have always said that if you're going to give a um, critique to one of your children, you do an encouragement sandwich. You give them a, you have been so wonderful recently. I thank you for this, that and the other. Give it five seconds. You know, I was wondering if maybe if you um, did it a different way, it might be more of a blessing to me. And anyway, as, as I was saying, it's really, I'm just really so proud that you're here and doing this. So it's an encouragement, challenge, couched in positive language, um, encouragement. And the reason I say this is maybe there are, before I go into the meat of the answer, maybe there are things in these three days a week that you have with your child that he needs that you need to address before you get to other things before you get to homeschooling proper homeschooling maybe there are you need to sit down and uh talk arrows with him for a bit <laughs> talk that he is an arrow and anyway i just wanted to get that across because if you're if you're doing maths and he's got these underlying bubbling insecurities or something about what the heck you're doing with him and what what on earth is is he supposed to be why is he doing maths and all that sort of stuff that's really going to eat away at him um and i don't know why that's the first thing i can that came to mind with this in particular but uh maybe it's something about having three three days a week that you want to just jump straight into formal work but anyway um, when it comes to so you, you want you want to know how to make it beautiful and meaningful. Great pair of things, priorities for your kids. I love the question. Beautiful. Where are you doing your homeschooling? Is it in a dingy kitchen with um, like sh sh bright shining light in your eyeballs and the oven on and the washing machine going and plain, plain white walls around you? Um or does your environment tell the story of your goals and values? Does your environment tell communicate to your child that this is this is your home, this is worth doing, this is a, a beautiful place, this is a beautiful thing we're doing together, and I I love being here? Or does it tell you that we are this is just a chore, another chore that we got to do before we move on? Um, but it sounds like from the question, I I, I think that um, this is probably or already on your mind um, when it comes to meaningful i love that you've used this phrase i think this is like the key phrase for me this is the key phrase for education i don't think education should be fun i think it should be meaningful <laughs> I, like my daughter was doing invoices with me today she did she found it fun it's not like she was it was it was laborious to her but it was fun because it was meaningful you don't make it fun you don't disguise it in funness you don't disguise it in fun flashing colors no they'll sniff it out that it's not meaningful and they'll get bored anyway um and they'll just go to some more efficient flashing colors and and stuff they'll want to get away from the maths game and get to fortnite because they know that the maths game isn't really a very good game when it comes to fortnite so if you're trying to <laughs> if you're giving them a game then they'll say well why don't i just go to proper games that um what if you want them to be doing maths give them a reason to do maths not a pretense so invite them into your goal in life your goal 
of making a difference. Rather than stopping up, rather than thinking about their academic needs as like you're stopping up little deficiencies in them. They're deficient at math, they're deficient at, at um, poetry um, analysis right now. So we've got to stop up that holes like a sinking ship. They're a sinking ship because they've got too many holes and they're not going to uh, stay afloat in the world of academia. So you've got to stop up these little spurting holes of, of water. Um, think of it like the destination. You're you're focusing on the destination. You're in a ship, right? But you're this metaphor doesn't work very well because if you've got whole stuff, no, okay, it's it's like this. You think you you're you're enraptured by the possibility the the um, goal. You've got your eyes on the prize. You want to get to this lovely island of Hawaii, and you're on the ocean. And yes, you've got holes in the ship, but all the employees are pulling together. All of the what do you call it? Sailors are pulling together, and the crew are pulling together to stop up the the holes almost automatically just because they have this such a beautiful vision and it's beautiful again beautiful vision of of hawaii so focus on your prize focus on what you want to do in the world and this would translate to in um, homeschooling making cookies for a friend to bless a friend you want to build up those around you and invite them into your lovely blank your the banquet of the prince um so this so there's maths there and there's things there's skills to develop there not for the sake of skills but for the sake of blessing a friend for the banquet of the prince um there or it could be memorizing a verse for moral change you want to be like christ christ is so the the vision of who i see christ is in the universe is so big that I, I am just caught up in him and I want to be more like him. And so I am, I want to learn, I want to listen to his word. I want to listen to the Christ podcast, which is the Bible and, and become more like him. I want to listen to, to the Christ, uh, how to book. I want to listen to the, I want to get in Christ. Um, not I'm so bad so I need to fix my badness, fix the holes in my ship. It's like you're never going to get fitter if you look at your belly and you just look down. You know, when you will, you have all those those folds of your skin, your belly skin, when you when you sit down and you just look at down yourself and you kind of punch your stomach and you go, <laughs> disgusting, I'm a pig, I'm a, uh, I'm a slug. You're never going to get healthy like that. You're just going to descend further and further down into the black hole of self-hatred. No matter how much this is... Like, body shaming <laughs> doesn't work. I mean, you've got to have a realistic view of your body. If your body's really, really unhealthy, then, uh, then that's part of it. You've got to see the holes in the ship. But it's not the holes in the ship that's going to help you fix the holes in the ship. It's... Uh, if you get too wound up by the holes in the ship, you're going to just look in there and just dive into the holes in the ship and you're just going to... you got to see the vision. What on earth am I talking about? Let me look at my notes. What? Why was I saying that? Good question, I hear you ask. Thank you for that. And let me now give you the answer. Meaningfulness. Yes, memorizing a verse for moral change. 
helping daddy with invoicing. Like I was saying, my job is to do some invoicing for a bakery. Um, and it's, uh, it's actually doing something. And I want you to invite you into actually doing something that really helps a business and helps people out there in the world. Not just a dress rehearsal for helping people, but actually help people. So, um, and so it's my, th it's, it's, I'm, it's not just giving their own little childy way of learning. It's an invitation into what I am doing in the world as daddy, daddy or mummy. Um, excuse my, all my throat sounds. I don't know what's going on with my throat. Yes. And so, um, I hope this will help you get a very lean, meaningful, beautiful um, few moments in your week or three days in your week. And um, yeah, I suppose if if you've got time outside of those three days and you're and you're really anxious to get everything done in those three days um, or three afternoons or whatever it was, then try and get as much. There's a lot, always a lot of faff, a lot of, OK, where are the books for this? And I'll just try and organize your time well enough this is you already know this but three days is a lot of lot of time for homeschooling i get i think i get most of my work with the kids done in three days i do everything before about two in the afternoon or one in the afternoon basically mornings um and then on fridays it's just letter writing or um when the coronavirus was not around it was yeah it was ba it was basically three mornings or three or four mornings um, so don't think of that like you need to squeeze in a lot of the more formal time into that. That's, that's a lot of time. If you're efficient with that, I think, and you really get in that beauty and meaning in those three mornings, then you can get a lot done. Okay. Next question is heart underscore home says, talk about your experience getting into college slash uni as a home ed grad. Yes, I was, I'm a home ed grad, which means I was homeschooled until I was about um, four, 14, 15 when I started doing emerging out of GCSEs into college and with college, British college, which is latter years of high school, I think. And I have, I, I still haven't worked out the, the correspondence of the two across the pond. I have this is uh, this question is hard because i have a bitter taste in my mouth about getting into university um i did get into university i went to university got a good degree in university i went to did theology in uh aberdeen in scotland but i have a bitter taste about that because i don't think that i should have gone to uni i wanted to be a missionary um i think i should have worked a practical job for a friend or something uh brother-in-law is a carpenter I, d I wasn't into carpentry but i think i should have just done i think I, I i should have just worked and then like as a young man 16 year old or something i should have worked um and writ and kind of pursued something equivalent to what I would have been doing in university just under a mentor for personal development so I think I should have been writing essays 
I, I mean, I already was. I wrote. <laughs> so I was such a nerd. I wrote um, the first big essay, the theology essay I wrote was before I went to university. I was nothing to do with a course, nothing to do with high school, nothing to do with anything. It was just me. I was, there was lots of debates about Calvinism, which was this this theology that um, God is in control of anything, of everything, including human decision. And there was this big debate about if God is in control of human decision, how do how can we have free will? And I basically wrote this essay arguing for compatibilism, for this I, this philosophical theory that uh you that free will is compatible with god's sovereignty that god's in control and we have free will and those are not contradictory and that was my thesis and that was what i wrote i wrote this article about it trying to help my fellow um young men uh bible bible study folks get kind of elevate up beyond the simple theology of um, David, you should be like David because he was courageous and he believed in God and threw a stone at Goliath. And so you should be like David because you can kill your Goliath in your life. And we all got just kind of, oh, can we get some something deeper? Can we get our teeth into something deeper? And do we really have to go to university to get our teeth into something deeper? No, you don't. You don't need to go to university. You can do it at home. You can homeschool as an adult. All adults should be homeschooling themselves. Um, I think I should have done that in my free time as I worked for a little bit, got, saved up some money. Then I should have went overseas to on a, on a short-term mission trip to go and see what the needs are in, say, Cairo and Egypt. Go and find some missionaries working in Cairo, Egypt, serve them for a bit volunteer for a couple months there with the money that I've saved up doing carpentry and stud and just studying in my free time and um and then maybe uh come back save up a bit more do it again figure out what their needs are and then maybe go with a go as a carpenter um and then after a while maybe get sponsored as a missionary or something like that like, I think there's a for me personally, and I think this is true for more people than it's commonly believed, there is a way of more responsibly getting into blazing your own path into a job, into the job that you want, rather than just um, this delayed adolescence period of just going to university because it seems like that's what I should be doing until I know what I want to do or that's or I'm really good at I'm really good at this subject so I should just go to university because that's what people who are good at this subject do I was really good at theology I um yeah I got a first and and uh five academic awards and you know, won hundreds of pounds from these awards about my theology essays, prizes and excellence and all of that. So I was really good at it, but I don't think I was, I should have been there. I don't think being really good at something is a good enough, really being really good at a subject is a good enough reason to pursue uh, academia in that subject. Academia is its own sort of career 
in itself but also there are yes there are certain jobs that you need that academic subject in order to get into and i get that this is an unfinished thought of mine but your question is uh talk about my experience getting into university so the precursor in britain to university is a levels and so you get good A-levels, you could go to university. You wow everyone with your A-levels, you could go to Oxford. Simple as that. Um, and I got okay A-levels. They were like, I don't know, C, B, stuff around there. I don't think I got an A, but Cs and Bs probably. Um, with, um, my focus was definitely on other things. Um, I wasn't, I hadn't learned how to learn yet, I don't think. Although my mother did a very good job, I don't think I really learned how to learn independently. Only when I went to university did I really flourish as an independent thinker and independent writer and learner. Not really sure about why. I think, I think a big part of why is just my age. A, a dude isn't a grown up until he's 25. And I stand by my thing that you should treat a, a, a boy as a man when he's 14. Um, even though he's not, he's not going to be one until he's 25. But nonetheless, um, I think my A-levels were squandered on me. I don't remember any of my A-levels or GCSEs because just my brain hadn't kicked into gear yet. Um, I did laboriously uh, cram a bit but mostly i just studied ephesians which was nothing to do with my uh a levels memorized like almost all of ephesians um and i listened to like almost all of john piper's sermon series is this and wrote notebook after notebook of notes on theology and stuff. This is what I did with my time. I didn't, I didn't put my focus on getting into university, and yet just cramming a bit did the job. It's all a bit sad and bitter to me. All this, remembering all this. Anyway, with psychology, that was one of my A levels. I hadn't read. I think my advice would would be to read psychology books before well to read psychology books like to read living books in psychology i hadn't read a psych book until i went on the course and only went and, and only read textbook psych books when i got on the course i didn't read i don't know oliver sacks or like interesting neuroscience or interesting living passionately written information laden psychology books i didn't I wasn't absorbed in the language, the language game. I didn't know how it all worked. I didn't know how to put together a psychology argument. There's only so much you can cram. My, I had a philosophy undergraduate student recently just over, over Zoom. And he was saying, um, how do I, can, can you please make my lesson plan? And the problem was he didn't know how to read philosophy 
because he hadn't read any, <laughs> he hadn't got into the habit of reading philosophy. And that was my problem with psychology. No matter how good my teachers were, I hadn't read any f psychology. Still, even with a textbook, I, I, I got all, I memorized all of the different information about psychology, but I didn't understand it because I didn't put it together because I wasn't in that world. I wasn't living and breathing psychology. It wasn't a part of my atmosphere. It wasn't, I didn't have living books. I wasn't, I didn't have a, a, a Charlotte Mason education in psychology. That was the problem. So if I wanted to, if I went, wanted to zoom back in time and get a good psychology A-level, I should start a year before and start reading really interesting, not textbooks, interesting, passionately written, information laden, classic, peer-reviewed psychology literature. No, that is not too much to ask of a 15-year-old. It's not. I wasn't, I wasn't a super genius. I'm not saying that because I, I'm not projecting my super geniushood onto other people. I was completely normal. Like I said, I got C's and D's. Um, and got into an average university, mid-range university. With literature, I did fine. Um, I did love literature, but my eyes were else, elsewhere. Again, I had read a f bit of English literature before and poetry. But... I had my eyes elsewhere, namely the internet. <laughs> the internet, it sucked all of my entertainment. I didn't read for pleasure through any of my A-level, I don't think. Oh man, this is depressing to go through these. And then with art, I didn't understand the whole postmodern thing that was going on in the arts. Like, I, the, 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 what, I didn't understand what they wanted of me. Um, they, did they want me to be really good at painting? No, because you just could just do splats like Pollock. Did they want me to really understand art history? No, because you could create this art um, book uh, thing that they wanted you to create without knowing anything about art history. It was completely optional whether you wanted to art, read the art curriculum textbook thing. Um, and there was no written exam. They wanted, basically, they wanted me to have this kind of flair, like this creative flair. Um, but I think, I know this is going to be horrible to say this. I think, <laughs> I can't believe this is coming out of my mouth, but I think my bad grade in art was actually more of a reflection of the bad teaching. I know that sounds megalomaniacal, megalomaniacal, megalomaniacal. I know that sounds megalom, I know that sounds megalom, I know that sounds megalom, I know that sounds megalomaniacal, With philosophy, I did fine. I did basically fine. I can't really remember why I did rubbish on that. No, I did like, I got a C. I can't remember why though. I remember being all about this weird argument for God's existence that was really obscure and didn't really work very well and had logical fallacies in it, but I was really, really passionate about it. And they thought, man, if he's into this, he must be a dumbo. And I was. So I think the only way that you're going to make formal academic preparation work well is when the child is not preparing on your impetus mummy he's preparing because he wants to it's meaningful to him 
he's using something from this degree, he wants this degree, and he's getting something from the A-levels because he wants the degree because he thinks this degree is going to give him something. If he doesn't, you just pushing him into this is just going to be a prolonged adolescence that will just eat away at his life essence. And I know that's not very... Man, I, that's not very helpful, is it? Um... I mean, there is there are lots of practical advice I could give you about getting into university, but specific to being a homeschooler. It's not going to be a serious gear shift, key change for from going to a well-rounded for example, Charlotte Mason education or um, sunlight curriculum education to being, to doing well at university or whatever, because there is, or classically, I mean, classical is probably closer to um, doing formal excellence anyway. But um, yes, with Charlotte Mason, you're going to be well-versed in, in memorizing um, memorizing things. You're going to be well-versed in repeat, repeating someone else's thoughts um, eloquently. You're going to be well-versed in um, gr gr the way, for example, the way living books work. So, so you're going to have, you're going to be easy to dive into psychology because you'll just know how a great mind ticks. Um, it's my my mother uh, it, it often however reminds me that the big gear shift key change is from unschooling to academic excellence um and i have learned a lot from unschooling i really believe in unschooling in the sense that i believe that only a voluntary education is going to be a, a, an education that's meaningful and has longevity. Only a, only when the child wants to learn is his brain going to flourish. Um, so I believe in unschooling in that sense. But going from... I think my mother has encountered a lot of people who have interpreted unschooling as not being educated <laughs> or not even curating anything for your kids they just it's just minecraft it's just mostly minecraft and um and more minecraft <laughs> and and then you get to gcse time and mums go oh, but but hold on now now they have to get gcse's right and mum says, well, yeah, but you've just spent the whole time unschooling them in this particular way with Minecraft. So now that there's a balance here that I cannot articulate right now. Because, you know, I really, like I said, there's a, there's a heart of unschooling that I think is compatible with academic excellence and indeed the engine of a brain that's going to do well at, in academia 
but I can't quite untangle that knot right now for some reason in my brain. The um, there was a there was some research that compared. I think this was in the nineties, mid nineties, that compared different different sections of types of schooling with uh, from uh, um and the academic results of each and i think they were like maybe 10 year olds and it compared compared um com competence in english and maths and a few different areas in english and maths and there was unschooly unschoolers with no formal curriculum there was homeschoolers with a formal curriculum and there was normal traditional schoolers and the normal traditional schoolers and curriculum homeschoolers had basically the same with a couple of small um the curriculum homeschoolers had a couple of small advantages like they were a couple of points above um the others the the, the schoolers but the unschools were a bit behind um so yes basically if you want to transit if you're an unschooler wanting who is anxious to transition them into formal academic work. I don't think it happens. I don't think you should listen to, <laughs> to the voices who say it'll just happen naturally of their own accord. Um, they do learn naturally of their own accord. That's quite true. But will they become good at this very particular game of acad academia um, of their own accord just through natural learning? Uh, no, I don't think so. So this, again, this is why I say if you want them to go into academia and get a degree, get a good degree, stuff like that, you better have a good, 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 good reason. And they better have a good, good, good reason to betray their natural learning like this because it is not natural. It's an unnatural thing. Okay, last question. Um, the, uh, yes, progress says homeschool related best living book recommendations, please for read alouds with four-year-olds and six-year-olds. So novels, great novels that come to mind for when my daughter was around six and my Son was about four. Little House on the Prairie series, loved that. Little House in the Big Woods, um, Long Winter, Farm Boy, brilliant. Kids still love them. Boys especially listens to this at night over and over and over and over and over on audiobook. Red Sails to Capri is a brilliant little novel about a little cove that has a lot of mystery surrounding it. And... Um, they kind of find their way through various cultural artifacts and superstition and um, different philosophies on life and stuff to unveil the mystery of this cove. And um, of course, I said it in big words, but it is good for four, six, eight-year-olds. Railway Children. <laughs> what a fantastic story. I thought this is the most going to be the most boringest, boringest English story in the universe. Just like I thought Wind in the Willows was going to be this slow, dreary English 
and oh, a frog said to his friend, Hello, frog, how are you? And they had a nice tea for breakfast. Um, but it isn't. It's really good. <laughs> Railway Children, there's this fantastic passage in the middle of Railway Children um, where it talks about the getting to the end of the tunnel. They're in the middle of the tunnel and they, they're, they're, there's a train coming and they need to get out of the time. And it kind of waxes lyrical for a little second of fantastic, poignant, brilliant poetry. Um, and it is one of this one of the examples of living books of novels that where it's not the kids escaping into their own special little kiddie world. It's them being invited into the adult world, into the real world of, of like politics and stuff like that. It's really quite difficult, complex stuff that they're being invited to. But it's all from the perspective of these children. And it kind of elevates you, I think, basically. Gladys. Janet, uh, Gladys Aylward is a biography that I'd really recommend. Um, it changed my life. It really did. I cannot get through it without crying. It's about a missionary who goes to China, rural China, makes a little um, inn there and teaches people about Jesus. And she it's in the middle of the First World War, I think. And she uh, leads all these kids through the mountains um, to safety and through great hardship and she shows great courage and faith fantastic book by janet jo and george benji janet and jo joff benj <laughs> janet and joff benj or benji b-e-n-g-e -E. my place is a fantastic picture book that you're going to get through with your four-year-old and six-year-old over you do one page a day i'd say it's I've I've talked about it before. I've praised it before. It's my mother gave it to me, like a lot of the homeschool books that I have. She gave it to me. Probably sixty percent of the books I go through with the kids um, were given to me by my mother. Anyway, it was uh, it's an Australian. It won some award in Australia. It's um, I think it's a decade old, two decades old. It's not that new. It starts in eighteen. It starts in the old days, <laughs> sometime in the old days. And um, and then every decade, it goes on a decade. So it starts in, let's say it's 1810, and it shows this town in 1810, and it was just a little stream, and it had some... It had one shop over here, and the, it was this big tree there. And then it fought, and it tells this like the little notes from the child who lived in this place at that time. And then, it, and it, and she says, "This was my place." And then I went over to the stream, and that this stream is cool because you can catch carp. And then it tr it um, oh no, it goes backwards. No, it starts in it starts in modern day times. Sorry, yeah, this is the charm of it. It starts in modern day times, and then it goes backwards ten years, and um. And then it says, this is my place. Someone else lived here before me. And um, there was this, there's all these bustling streets and stuff like that. And then it goes back 10 years and then it's semi-bustling streets. <laughs> and it's, and there are only a few houses over there. And then it goes backwards and until all the way back when there was just the Aborigines. And it traces how this town developed, but backwards. So you're kind of going, you're, this, you're seeing this town contract into its primordial elements tales of ancient egypt by roger lancelin green love that one it's what i liked about this one they're all fantastic 
um, myth, myth and legend. It's all got that exciting element of myth and legend where it's like the Pharaoh then he kept all of his treasure in the in his pyramid but then one of his brothers got stuck and then he had to chop off the head of his brother okay maybe this isn't for four-year-old i mean it's it's like greek myths you know there's a lot of like fairly inappropriate stuff in greek myths but it's i mean i read it to my kids um it's not like bloody and gory it's just kind of like myth and legend type bloodshed you know what I mean? So I I read it to my kids. It is it is for children. I suppose most people would say probably over six. Sorry, I shouldn't have recommended it, but it is excellent. And what I like about it is it's told in the old style. Like it's not really big words or anything, but um, it's told like it's a like it's a an Egyptian or a really really ancient person telling it so it doesn't sound to have all these shot through with modern anachronisms to to make it cool to modern people so it's not like there was this oh this there was this dude who got stuck in the no okay there is another there is another question here is the next question how do so this is Quintaldo Aprendizado. <laughs> I think that's Spanish. I don't know what it says, though. Um, that's just the, the handle. And she says, how do you people... No, how do people... How do you people put up with each other? No. How do people react to your choice to care for and educate your children? Mostly they're like mostly they're like cool oh that's nice yeah so boring answer sometimes they just they're usually just admiration but quite often you feel this kind of hidden resentment that i'm depriving them of something vital that i am depriving them of the challenge of school or the chance to be in community both of which i think are based on misunderstandings but and then in my conservative christian community there's an underlying i sense an underlying sadness that i've renounced my god-given manhood by taking up the woman's work oh just stupid picking up nappies and just doing dumb stuff oh cooking emasculated jack just cooking cooking for a living cooking for his kids just talking about you know, just doing sewing and boring, poopy stuff like that. Um, and I won't get into a rebuttal of that, but I'm I'm sure you can see past that. Uh, don't think my conservative Christian community are very dumb. In fact, they're very well educated and very smart on most things, and smarter than me on most things. But um, there's some. I think there's some misunderstanding there and then here we go i like this one hardest and best part about being divorced now the hardest thing about being divorced is not loneliness though there was a serious bout of loneliness but i can kind of transfigure my loneliness into good things 
the hardest thing about being divorced is the conflict kind of eats away at the kids. Um, that's really hard to stomach. That's really, really hard to see just bubbling away underneath there. I mean, me, me and my um, ex-partner haven't had an argument in front of the kids since, you know, like four years ago when we were happily married. But just my concealed judgment of her and her bitter hatred of what I represent. Well, I don't want to put words in her mouth. What what seems the negative vibes from both of us <laughs> um, is very that that clash, even when we're not when it's, it goes unsaid, is very a very heavy thing for a child to be party to to witness over and over again. I don't know there's really much I mean I can work on forgiveness in my heart and do all these things work on being a better person and and but um as long as we're separated and unreconciled this is there it's just there this there's this cleavage <laughs> sorry to use the old term like there's this separation this cut in between the two most important people in their life and just that in itself is a horrible horrible thing a mangled corpse of a marriage horrible thing for the kids to bear they shouldn't bear it and they all i'm trying to encourage them not to bear it and to take the as much of it as i can onto myself but but here's another here's the other half of this question which is best thing silver lining about divorce <laughs> well to clarify, I think divorce is bad. Divorce is bad, but yeah, silver lining. When you have a change to make in the family, when you when you have a partner and you want to um, say change, they think you think they're watching too much TV or something, and so you go up to your partner and say, you know, I think they're watching too much TV. And they say, what's up with too much TV? They're relaxing. And you say, well, I don't think it's very good for them. And they say, well, there's no research for it to be not good to them. Okay, well, what do we do now? Go on with ne negotiations or a compromise or something like that. You know, this is a hard thing about about trying to lead in the way that you think is best for the kids. Um, as well as being diplomatic and respectful about your partner's needs and opinions. Whereas for me, a few weeks ago, I was like, ah, we don't need Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi gone. I don't, I don't have anyone to negotiate with no one else use the wi-fi the kids don't use the wi-fi i just get rid of the wi-fi because it's me i'm single that is a perk for being divorced so all of you should go ahead and divorce your husbands and wives right now so you can get rid of your wi-fi yay um and and mum if you want to get rid of the wi-fi off your broccoli just turn it off turn it off Most difficult for me, this is the last one, I promise. I said like five years ago that it was going to be the last one. Oh my goodness, it's been more than an hour. You've been, li you've been listening to me for more than an hour. More than 60 whole minutes you've wasted your life on listening to my drivel. Get a life.
Get alive. Take off your headphones. And go and read a book. Do something worth... Do. Make something... Make something of your life. Um... The most difficult would be speaking to them respectfully and and leading gently, not just telling them what, not just commanding, not just barking orders, not just telling them what to do, not just threatening consequences, not going, can you come and do the wash, washing up with me, please, now, because that's what's on your list of to do right now. And they go, but, um, and then they, they just stay up doing whatever. And I say, and they say, I say, well, I'll give you more jobs to do if you don't come quickly. You know, that's the natural thing to do. They're sort of manipulation, the threatening, the um, barking orders, the just do what I ask, for goodness sake. It's it's just a simple, it's just right for you to come and help me with the washing up. Can you just simply just do it now? So easy to do that. What's hardest is to then, okay, wipe off the bubbles off your hands, wipe it onto the dish towel, take your thing off put it down go over find them where they're playing with the lego say um do you think you should need to come and have a word with me now and they say oh but i'm doing this and i say do you think you need to come and have a word with me and they say oh but i think i'm doing this and you say do you think you need to come and have a word with me and they say yeah and they say oh okay and you smile and you bring them over and you kneel down and you look at them in the eyes and they say what do you, what what and i said um what is it what's it right for you to be doing right now and they say i don't know and they say and i say what are you and they say arrow and i say for um for what is it you are my arrow i am the and they say warrior and i say for the kingdom of and they say god and you and they say okay so what's your job right now and they say well to bless you and i say what could you possibly be blessing us with and they say i don't know and i said have you looked on your to-do list and they say okay fine and they go and look on the to-do list and they say okay all this faff all this flipping faff of trying to get holiness and trying to get cooperation trying to get uh, as as i'm trying to invite them into being archers with me Trying to shoot them, for goodness sake, with kindness and and the the idea that there are fellow people and not just dogs that I train them to do my bidding. This is really, really hard, but I don't just Good morning, want Kinder. a slave labor house, slave labor built house built on bones and bloodshed and manipulation and coercion and tyranny. I want a house of peace where I welcome in the nations and they see dan the dancing of the Sabbath. They see the singing and they see the light and they see the embers and they see the cooks and they see the banquet and they see the prince there and they see happiness and they see the joy of Jesus in, in us and they come and they worship with us and they come and see who what we're about and that's what I want. So you guys... Would you help me in getting there? Love you. What are we learning about today? Works of, works of the Lord. The words and works of the Lord. Works of the Lord. Works and truth and justice with you, him. And how are we going to do it? Working truth and justice with him, exactly. And why? So that all, so that all the nation sing his name. Exactly. I'm so excited to do that with you. Good one.
Thank you.